I want to thank John for sharing that story. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of the life of our church, not only in terms of your involvement, but also in terms of your financial support. And with that in mind, also, I want, just want to encourage you to, to help us finish the year strong financially. Uh, one of the ways you can do that is by making a year-end gift. I know many of you are giving already, but I, I would just encourage you to, to join me even if you're giving already in making an end-of-the-year gift, if you're able, this is a conversation Rose and I have had about how we can participate with the life of the church at the end of this calendar year, and I, I would just invite you to join us in that effort. Now, this morning, we're continuing our journey uh, through the Christmas story in a series we're calling Snapshots of Christmas. And uh, in a moment, we're going to have a time of communion, so I would encourage you, even if you want to right now, to kind of get up and get the elements ready that you'd like to use for that. You can uh, get something to drink, something to eat, and so uh, as we come to the conclusion of this service, I'll lead us in a time where we can celebrate that together as, as one church. So that will come a little later. As, as I said, we're continuing this series called Snapshots of Christmas. And in introducing this snapshot, this scene from the Christmas story, I want to begin by asking you uh, this question. What would it look like for you to thrive in 2022? Maybe you haven't thought much about next year, but, you know, we're going to be turning the pages on our calendar soon. So what would it look like for you to thrive in uh, 2022? As we started the Christmas season, as we started the season of Advent, uh, we ask you to think about what you might be waiting for. This is a season of waiting as we build to the celebration of the coming of Christ. So what were you waiting for? And even if you walk through our sanctuary, we still have those sticky notes up on the wall of the different ways in which people uh, like you responded. And, and frankly, some of the things that were written on those post-it notes were pretty heavy. Some, clearly, some, some challenging situations, often in family circumstances, relationship circumstances. I'm waiting for something to change. I'm waiting for my marriage to be different. I'm waiting for uh, my job status to change or my work environment to be different. I'm waiting for that next step to open up for me. And so as, as we're dealing with different stuff in our lives right now, even as we come to the end of this year and think about starting the next year, just kind of wrestle with this for a moment. And I encourage you just to, in essence, answer this question in your own mind. What would it look like for you to thrive in 2022? What that, might that entail? What would it take for you to, in one year, look back on 2022 and say, this, this was a year of flourishing for me? What would that entail? What would that look like? As you mull over that question, and I do encourage you to just, I'm kind of giving you a little time so you can think specifically about that. As you mull over that question, let's now come to the next snapshot that we want to look at in, in the Christmas story. And it's, it's the snapshot that focuses on the mother of Jesus, Mary. And as, as we look at her life, I think there's something we can learn about what it means to thrive. And, and I think there's something in her life, even though it occurred hundreds of years ago, I think there's something in her life that can 
challenge you to think about what it looks like for you to thrive in the upcoming year. Now, to see what that something is, again, let's come back to the Christmas story. We're introduced to Mary right as she is experiencing this angelic announcement. Mary, you're going to have a baby. And even, even as this happens, you know, when you look at this angelic announcement, I think there's, there's this theme of, of blessing, of, of celebration, right? Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Uh, another way to, to, to translate that is greetings, you who are highly graced by God, right? There's this sense of kind of divine favor and blessing that is now in your life. And that's the way Mary is greeted. The angel repeats that message and then then the angel gives specific details. You're go- not only you're going to have a baby, but this this baby is the Messiah. This baby is the coming King. He will reign on David's throne forever. And I think even even though Luke gives us this thumbnail sketch of what's going on, it's clear even from the little detail that that he gives us. You know, this had to be overwhelming news for her to hear. It's a lot to take in. I mean, Mary is most likely maybe around 15 or 16 years of age. And her her entire world is being overturned. Nonetheless, while all of this is happening, uh, Mary ultimately says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word, may your promise be fulfilled. Then she travels uh, to visit her relative Elizabeth, right, who's also expecting. And we've talked about uh, the birth of John the Baptist already. Uh, she arrives and comes into Elizabeth's house. And Elizabeth gives this amazing response, which is ultimately empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is part of what that looks like. What does Elizabeth say? In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the child you will bear. And then a little later in that paragraph, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Mary, you are blessed. Now notice notice the two reference, references here to blessing, because interestingly, in, in Greek, there are actually two different terms that are used. And, and arguably, they carry a, a slightly different Meaning a slightly different angle on what's being described because the the first term really focuses on the idea of divine favor of God's action, God's intervention. Mary, you are blessed among women because of the child that you will bear. But the the second term has a slightly different focus. It really focuses on the experience of blessing on thriving are flourishing and so the idea right at the end of this statement is this mary you you're you're thriving you're you're flourishing because you have believed that the lord will fulfill his promises to you now, now think about that for a moment you know i i, I arguably on, on the one hand i think this is this is a statement that looks back. It looks back 
to all that is already unfolded in Mary's life since the angelic announcement. It looks back to the, the fact that Mary has really responded with a posture of, of faith and trust. And, 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 and it's also perhaps a subtle dig at Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, because he was you know, much more skeptical when he was confronted with an angelic announcement. But Mary has really embraced this message, even though she had questions and uncertainty. She's really uh, uh, embraced it with, with a posture of faith and trust. So on the one hand, when, when, when Elizabeth says, Mary, you're flourishing because you believe that the Lord would fulfill his promises, I think that's looking back to what's recently happened in her life. But on another hand, I think it, it's, it's also a statement that's looking forward. I think in, in a real sense, it's a statement that anticipates the rest of Mary's life. Mary, you will thrive, you will flourish as you embrace the truth that God fulfills his promises. And neither of them know what fully lies ahead and what those experiences that they might face are going to be. But Mary, you will thrive, you will flourish as you embrace the truth that God fulfills his promises. Now, let's, let's just stop here for a, a moment. And let's go back to that question I asked you a moment ago, right? What, what would it look like for you to flourish, to thrive in 2022? And I think for some of us, if, if we really thought through that question, well, I, I'm going to thrive in, in 2022. It would be great if this particular dimension of my life would change, if there'd be this change in a relationship, or if, you know, there'd be this change in my work environment, or maybe I would, I'm going to thrive in 2022 as I embrace something new in my life, a new season. Maybe I'm coming towards retirement, or we're having our first child, or, you know, I'm transitioning into a new job, and so I'm going to thrive thrive if I embrace that change well. But as you think about the year, what if, what if we expanded our thinking in this way? What if we expanded our thinking to recognize this? It's really the truth that's being stated about Mary's life, but I think it, it applies to us as well. And, th- and that is this. We can thrive as we embrace the truth that God keeps his promises. Do you want to thrive moving into the new year? Do you want to thrive as you step into that new responsibility? Or you want to thrive with a sense that my life's still moving forward as I move into 2022? We can thrive as we embrace the truth that God keeps his promises. So what would that look like for you? Right? What would it look like to approach certain decisions, opportunities, responsibilities in your life, even as you move into the new year with a sense that God is faithful to his promises. How does that change things? How does that affect your decision-making process? Well, I, I, can't, I can't state exactly what that looks like for you, but I do think there's some things we can learn from Mary's life. Uh, let me just highlight a couple of ways in which I think this, this posture of leaning into the truth that God keeps his promises kind of affected Mary, guided Mary, empowered Mary. Here are some things that I think we can actually see in terms of what this looked like for Mary. 
First of all, I think she had this posture of trust where she embraced the truth that God keeps his promises. What we see in her life is active dependence rather than autonomy. Again, think back to this Think back to this angelic announcement, right? She's just a teenager. And she's going to have a baby. He's the fulfillment of all of these promises. And in, uh, you know, and, and in so many ways, this is overwhelming news. Right? And of course, the, the angel couches this all in a sense of blessing and celebration. Mary, this is what God is going to do through you. And it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's powerful news. It's overwhelming news. But we also have to acknowledge it. it's news that generates all sorts of questions and uncertainties, questions and uncertainties that Mary's going to have to live with. How can this be? I'm a virgin. Of course, the angel answers that question. But she still had to have all sorts of other questions that, Maybe even at that point, she couldn't verbalize. What are people going to say? What is my family going to say? How is Joseph going to respond? What is this going to look like? How does this change my plans and expectations? I mean, whatever expectations she had of what her life would look like, all of that is being overturned. So there have got to be just all sorts of questions and uncertainties just bouncing around in her head yet again. How does she respond? I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word or your promise to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And and notice her assumption is not, you need to answer all my questions. You've got to explain to me all of how this is going to unfold she she at this moment leans into the truth that God will keep his promises and she says I'm your servant it's it's a posture of active dependence right it's it's a recognition wow that I can't all this is overwhelming I'm, I'm not going to be able to control this I have no idea where this is going I've got all sorts of questions but but what I'm going to do is, is assume a posture of trust. And God, may you be faithful to your promises. And in saying that, it's a posture of, it's a posture of active dependence. It's a willingness to release autonomy, a willingness to say, I, okay, I get I'm not going to have all my questions or uncertainties addressed and answered, but I'm going to trust you in this. And the reality is that she chooses that that posture of faith, of active dependence, rather than autonomy. What she is doing is she's really opening her life to God's ongoing work, and that's exactly what happens. So what what does this look like for Mary to embrace the truth that God keeps his promises? it's, It's choosing a posture of active dependence rather than autonomy. I think another, another dimension of what this looks like for Mary is this. I think in our life we see hopefulness rather than helplessness. Again, just enter into this story. I mean, just kind of stand with Mary for a moment. 
And you see this, this young woman, and she's going to have a baby. And as you begin to think about what that looks like and what it's going to look like for her, you can just imagine the questions, the uncertainties that are going through her mind. And I think you, if, you, if you stand with her, you can, you can envision how easy at this moment and, and really in an ongoing way in her life, you can understand how easy it would be to just be overwhelmed by a sense of vulnerability. Right? Oh, my goodness. And just to kind of almost reach this point of, of helplessness. And yet that doesn't happen for Mary. I mean, as, as she thinks about what's going on, as she processes what's going on, Mary actually pins a poem, a song. We, we sometimes refer to it as the Magnificat. We sometimes call it Mary's song. And this is, this is how it begins. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It begins, it begins with a sense of hope, not helplessness, but hopefulness. And at one level, I kind of want to look at Mary and go, <laughs> uh, how, can you, how can you respond in this way? Don't you, don't you realize how vulnerable you are? Don't you get how much of your life is beyond your your control? I mean, think about the powerful forces at work around you. You're going to have to go to Bethlehem to have this baby. And the reason you've got to go to Bethlehem is is so that you and your husband can register uh, for the Roman census. And why does Rome take a census? Because they want to update the tax rolls and they want to determine who's eligible for military service. Don't you realize this powerful empire that in so many ways is against you as it work? Furthermore, don't you know that the, the local ruling authority is going to be threatened by this baby, Herod the Great? He's going to come after your child, Mary, and you need to know he's ruthless. He's even willing to kill members of his own family. Furthermore, he's egotistical. He's insecure. He's coming after you, Mary. And, and so you, you think about <laughs> you think about the situation, and it's just it's easy, man. If you put yourself in that situation, if you stand with Mary for a moment, it's easy just to feel helpless because you're surrounded by all these forces, these powerful forces, these powerful governmental forces that are beyond your control. Mary, don't you feel vulnerable? Don't you feel helpless? But no, her words are filled with hope. Even though she's just one teenager expecting a baby. And interestingly, as, as she speaks these words, she speaks of God's mighty works. I mean, she states God's going to bring down rulers from their thrones, but he exalts the humble. Those are bold words. Those are provocative words. Those are audacious words. I mean, interestingly, I mean, the, and this is kind of crazy, but in the 1980s, there was a period where the government of Guatemala outlawed the public reading of this part of the Bible. They outlawed the public reading of Mary's song. Why? Because it was viewed as too threatening. It was too dangerous. 
I mean, how could a government be threatened by the words of a teenager centuries later? How could this happen? Because she was embracing the truth that God keeps his promises, and that produced a mindset of, of hopefulness. A third thing I think you see in, the, in, in Mary's life is really there's, there's resilience rather than resignation. Now, I think, you know, sometimes we misread parts of this story. We, you know, Mary says, okay, she hears this angelic announcement, may your words be fulfilled. And you, you may read this as, well, she just resigns herself to what's going on and what's going to happen. But I think particularly when you read her song, it's not about an attitude of resignation. There's a resiliency, I think you see, in her work and what she writes and over time in her life. A resiliency that, that plays out over the course of her life. I mean, things are going to get complicated for her. They're going to have to flee to Egypt, even in the middle of the night. And then, then they return to Israel, but they don't return to Judea. They return to Galilee. They kind of go to a more out-of-the-way place because it's safer there. In addition to all those challenges, there's the reality of raising a child and then a family but what we, I think what we learned from her life is there was a resiliency at work all along the way. So, I mean, so here's what we see in her life. We see this sense of active dependence. We see this sense of hopefulness. We see this resilience at work. And, and maybe the question then is, so, so how did this happen? How did this happen? How was it, you know, what, in a more practical way, what was it that, what were the steps for Mary in and really embracing the truth that God keeps his promises and embracing them in such a way that it produced these results, right? It produced a sense of active dependence, a sense of hopefulness, a sense of resilience. What, what were the steps that were at work in, in her life? And, and let me just highlight two things here. First, I think, I think you, you need to pay attention to perhaps what was <laughs> the preparation in her life. Again, you know, maybe we, we look at Mary and it's like, oh my goodness. God chooses this random woman and just random teenager. And she's going to give birth to, to Jesus the Christ, the son of David. But there's arguably more preparation at work than we normally realize. And one of the clues to that is, again, reading her song. And, and, and as, as scholars have, particularly scholars have studied Mary's song, and kind of the, the wording, the content, the phraseology. In a variety of ways, they've come to realize this, this song is just, it's steep, it's soaked in themes from the Old Testament, and language, and imagery, and wording from the Old Testament. And, and perhaps the clearest example is to compare this song with a song from the Old Testament, because when we, we go back to the Old Testament narrative, we we read the story of Hannah, who too was a woman who was blessed with the birth of a child. And like Mary, she sings a song that celebrates God's work, God's faithfulness. We call this the song of Hannah. You can find this in 1 Samuel 2. And interestingly, as you compare these two songs, in different ways, Mary's song echoes themes, language, wording from Hannah's song. 
You know, for instance, Hannah says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. And Mary says, well, my soul praises the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Hannah talks about God's holiness. There's one holy like the Lord. And and Mary says, holy is his name. So there's certain themes and language that's repeated in Mary's song that we also see in Hannah's song. Now, I don't, I, don't, I don't think this means that, well, Mary's just plagiarized. She's just, no, I think what this is cluing us into is, is the fact that Mary was so aware of Scripture and the history of her country, that there, certain themes and images and wording were just a part of her, that, that she had, in different ways, um, prepared herself for this because she, you know, in different ways already as a young adult, she had kind of opened her life to God. And so she gets to this dramatic moment in her life. And as she reflects on it, it's just natural for these themes that she is so familiar with to come out in her own song. So Mary was prepared, perhaps prepared for this moment in, in ways that we're not always fully cognizant of. She had lived with an openness to God, an openness to his word, an awareness of his promises, such that when this moment happens, she's, she's got categories and image and language that help her process what God is doing. And I think it helped equip her to embrace the fact that God keeps his promises. Along similar lines, let me just remind you, uh, that as we start the new year, I, I'm going to invite you to, to jo- join together, for us to join together as a church family, as, as a church community in, in certain rhythms and practices that really open us up to, to God's ongoing work in our lives. And this includes our, our next segment in our Love This Book journey, where we're going to be looking at the life of Christ. And as we go through the life of Christ, I'm going to encourage you to very intentionally get into Scripture during this message series. And we've got a devotional guide we're making available here. We'll make it available online that you can use to, to get into that. And even as I encourage you to get into Scripture, I'm also going to invite you to join us in, in an intentional season of prayer and fasting for for our church our elders have really recognized you know as we start this new season as we start this new year we need to come together in in prayer and really opening our lives up to who God is and what he wants to do in our lives individually and in our life corporately as a church community so even as we start our journey through the life of Christ in January, we're also going to set aside three weeks, kind of intentional within that longer journey, three weeks for prayer and fasting. And, and I'll be explaining more about that as we get closer. But I think just like Mary in embracing these kinds of practices and embracing these kinds of rhythms, we're, we're making room for God and we're preparing our lives in such a way that as new challenges, new opportunities, new decisions come our way, even the unexpected, we can, we can engage those situations as people who embrace the truth that God keeps his promises. So in Mary's life, there's this, theme of preparation but I think there's there's also a process that's at work in her life that is instrumental in in shaping how she engages her situation in shaping how she's able to really 
engage life <laughs> by embracing the truth of, of God's faithfulness to his promises. And, and here's what that process looked like. When you, when you look at that song, Mary's song, and, and I'd encourage you to walk through that in detail, you'll see she really celebrates two themes. First of all, she celebrates God's work in history. She celebrates God's mighty deeds. She celebrates his sovereignty over history. She celebrates what he is doing and will do through the work of Christ in terms of salvation. She celebrates his faithfulness to his promises. So she celebrates God's work. But then secondly, she sees her identity within that work. She sees the reality that she has a role to play in what God is doing. And, and really, as you read this song, even as she celebrates God's work, she also celebrates the fact that she is loved by God, that God loves her, that God knows her, God has a purpose for her life. She says, you know, he has been mindful of my humble state. He has met me where I am. The Mighty One has done great things for me. In other words, her sense of identity, who she is, is, is now rooted in the bigger story of what God is doing. It's rooted in what we would describe as the gospel, the good news. And I think what is significant here is the way Mary brings these th- two themes together, right? I mean, there's the, she has this sense of who God is and what he's doing, and she has this uh, sense of identity, but the two are intertwined so that in looking and understanding who she is, what life is about, understanding uh, who she is in, in terms of relationship with God, that is brought together with God's work. So, so these two themes are intertwined. How she sees herself is shaped by who God is, and she brings these themes together. And, and I think Mary then is able to engage the circumstances, the decisions, the choices of life from a posture of of faith and trust because she sees herself in light of the mighty deeds of God. Interestingly, as the story continues, there's this point where Luke tells us this, Mary treasured up all the things, right, all the things she's hearing and learning through this journey. She treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. In writing about Mary in a fascinating book called The Real Mary, Scott McKnight says, that these words, these are standard words in Judaism for thinking about events in one's life so one could make sense and narrate what God was doing in history. To ponder is not to withdraw into silent meditation, but to deliberate in order to interpret. In other words, what Mary was doing is she was, she was in understanding herself, the decisions, the choices, where she's at and what's going on in her life, she was doing that in light of the faithfulness of God to his promises. She was doing that in light of God's character, doing that in light of God's mighty works. And there really is something for us to learn here because here's where we can get stuck. You see, I can... I can, I can affirm the good news of, of the gospel. I can affirm the work of Jesus Christ, the goodness of God. I can come to Christmas and I can sing the songs and celebrate the birth of Jesus and, and come on Christmas. Eve. I can do all of that. But then when it comes to understanding myself, I can kind of just seek to establish my sense of identity on my own 
as if the two aren't intended to be related, as if the two don't go together. But if I do this, and I fail to do this, right? If I do this, and really in essence, you know, I believe in God, maybe I pray, I I believe the gospel, I celebrate Christmas, but if my sense of identity is really established in, in an autonomous way, this approach over time is going to make me vulnerable to all sorts of unhealthy things. For instance, again, maybe I, <laughs> maybe I believe in God, but, but, but I'm not really looking at my life in light of that relationship. I believe in God, but you know, when, it comes to, when it comes to being loved, when it comes to having a sense of purpose, I really try to establish that on my own. And maybe, maybe what happens is, you know, that, that need to be known, that need to be loved, it's like I, I just need that from other people. And so that affects how I handle relationships. It, it affects how I deal with other people. I, I, I develop a certain persona, a certain way of engaging people because I, I, really need, I really need you to love me. And I'm going to do whatever it takes, even, even in terms of in interacting in an unhealthy way. I'm going to do whatever it takes for, for you to respond to me in that manner. And the truth is, if my sense of self is built on the compliments of others, it can also be crushed on the criticism of others. And do you, do you, see, do you see the danger here? Yeah, I believe in God, but, but I, I'm, I'm not really looking at my life, who I am, my sense of purpose, my sense of meaning, the reality that I'm known and loved. I'm not really looking at that in light of God's mighty work. And what Mary was willing to do and able to do is she was really willing to bring these together. So the challenge, particularly as we enter a new year, is, is, to, is to do this. If you want to thrive, I think foundational to that is embracing the truth that God keeps his promises. Now, let me just see if I can kind of just encourage you in terms of what this might look like. Maybe even as you're coming into this year, you're dealing with your life right now, there are, you know, there are certain challenges in your life right now or, or certain opportunities that are in front of you that are just great opportunities or certain decisions that you need to make or, or certain challenges that you need to make. And you want to kind of walk through these well or deal with these circumstances well. How can you in those particular instances, remind yourself of the promises of God. And foundational to that is that through his work, if you are a follower of Christ, the promise that he is with me. And he promises his spirit to be at work. So, so I've got this challenge. I've got this opportunity. I've got this responsibility. I've got this change that's coming. Okay, and I want to I handle this well. I want to do it wisely. But all along the way, I want to keep in mind that God keeps his promises. And he's promised to me to be a recipient of God's grace. And I think it, it can be helpful in, in these situations just to kind of, kind of almost preach to yourself, to challenge yourself. 
how do I approach this decision? How do I approach this responsibility? How do I approach this difficulty with a recognition that God keeps his promises? And as you wrestle with that, maybe it is, you know, maybe kind of, you've got to go back to some of the things we talked about earlier. Maybe as I wrestle with, okay, this decision, this choice, this responsibility, maybe I need to realize, you know what, I've, I've kind of developed an attitude of autonomy in this. I haven't, I haven't assumed a posture of active dependence. I really haven't been intentional in how I prayed about this or how I've sought God's guidance or the wisdom of other people. And so in embracing the truth that God keeps his promises, I need to, I need to assume a posture of active dependence. Or perhaps I've settled into a certain helplessness about this situation. You know, it's become frustrating and whatever it is, you know, it's a challenge at work and I can't work through it or it's beyond my control and there's just a certain helplessness that's developed. And, and somehow in allowing that sense of helplessness to foster, allowing the frustration to, of, uh, to just foster in my attitudes and my heart and my mind, I've, it's just made me feel more helpless along the way. As an, I mean, just kind of as an example, one thing that I really noticed over the last couple of years, you know, is our culture has kind of become more divided and politically polarized. Um, I've realized I've got to be really careful about my news consumption. Now, I enjoy the news. I enjoy thinking through issues and public policy. But I, I came to the realization that I was, I was just consuming too much news, and it was so easy. Though I would just, the more I consumed at times, a lot of it was just speculative anyway, but the more I consumed, it was just, it, there were certain ways it was fostering frustration with people who disagreed with me or people in office who disagreed with me. And, and there was also this sense of kind of a growing sense of helplessness. Oh, I can't do anything about it. I can't do anything to affect their thoughts, their, their actions, and and. It was very demotivating, and I realized, and I actually took intentional steps to cut back on my news consumption and to make sure, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm exposing myself to things that remind me of God's faithfulness, that remind me that God's at work, that kind of remind me of other realities so that I'm not getting lost in, in a sense of helplessness, but maintaining a sense of hopefulness because God is faithful to his promises. Maybe, maybe because of the challenge of a certain situation, I just kind of resigned myself to this is just the way it is. And maybe with that sense of resignation, I, it, it, just, it just feels like, again, it's been demotivating. I've become more passive because, you know, I can't do anything about it. It doesn't matter what I do. And what's been lost is a sense of resilience. And you see, again, in different ways, we need to come back to the reality of who God is, his faithfulness is to his promises, his promise to be with us, his promise that his grace is at work in us and around us and seeking to be attuned to that in a way that in these situations, in these challenges, in these opportunities, that we have a sense of active dependence, that we have a sense of hopefulness, that we have a sense of resilience. And I think that's, that's the invitation of Mary's life. It's to embrace the truth that God is faithful to his promises. And as you do that, <laughs> you will thrive. As you do that, in 2022, you will thrive 
you will flourish. Now with that in mind, we're now going to come to a time of communion. I'm going to encourage you to get whatever elements uh, that you are going to use and uh, just give you a moment to prepare and and as we now come to this as we now come to this time of communion let's really approach remembering the death and resurrection of Christ as God's ultimate fulfillment of his promises and if he's been faithful in doing this how much more will he be faithful <laughs> in the other dimensions of our life, even as we move into a year, if we're willing to lean into the truth that he is faithful (laughs) to his promises. So let's now come to this time of communion. And let's remember Jesus really gathered with his disciples in that upper room and he's celebrating that Passover meal with him. But he said, look, this Passover, it it all ultimately points to me because I am the fulfillment of God's promises. And he looks at his disciples and he takes the bread and then he takes the cup. And he says, this is my body, it's broken for you. This is my blood, it's shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now let's pray together. Gracious God, as we remember your work through Jesus Christ, we are reminded that you are faithful to your promises. And as we think about your faithfulness to your promises, even as we move through this season of Advent, I pray that that you would also just help us wrestle with this question. So so what would it look like for me? (laughs) What would it look like for me in approaching life to embrace the truth that God keeps his promises? How would would I approach certain things differently? How would I approach certain responsibilities differently? How would I approach certain challenges and opportunities differently? Father, may may we be willing to wrestle with those questions. And may we be reminded that this was foundational to the work you did in Mary's life. And just as you were at work in her life, you desire to be at work in our lives as well. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now as we move towards Christmas, I hope you'll be joining us for one of our Christmas Eve services, either in person or online. And I also want to wish you and your family, or however you will be celebrating, a very Merry Christmas. And as you come to the end of this year, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, let's also remember what we learn from Mary that we thrive as we embrace the truth that God keeps his promises. Amen.